You're listening to Group, a podcast about mental illness and mental health. This is the show for the Worriers. I was a very, very, very anxious child, and I had a lot of panic attacks. The depressives. I thought depression was one of those things that only rich people get, like tennis elbow or skin cancer. And the folks feeling a little on edge. So then a butterfly spooks him, and he crashes a freaking car. <laughs> to the people who aren't feeling super great, we're here to tell you we get it. I got on a prescription when I was really young to help with my anxiety and depression, and I still take it today, and I have no shame in that. Our goal is to tell your stories, to make you laugh, and to give you an audio hug through your earbuds. I'm Rebecca Lee Douglas, your resident anxious person, and I'm here today bringing you a special group for Valentine's Day. If you hate Valentine's Day because it's a messed up representation of how capitalism commodifies love, that's okay. You're right. (laughs) And it is. If you're enjoying the opportunity to eat some truffles in a sparkly heart-shaped box, uh, that's great too. Truffles are delicious with or without a romantic partner. Whatever your feelings are about February 14th, we're taking it uh, as an opportunity to have a conversation about anxiety and dating. I spoke with one of my new favorite people, Hattie Cooper. Hattie's a writer in the Pacific Northwest. Um, She has generalized anxiety disorder, and she's the woman behind the blog, The Anxious Girl's Guide to Dating. She's also the author of a book by the same name. I'll post links to both the book and the blog on our website, grouppodcast.com. We had a really great conversation where we sort of bonded over our own histories with anxiety and dating. Um, We talked about blind date diarrhea, uh, why intimate relationships can be so terrifying for anxious people, and letting a, a, a partner in on your mental health issues, which can also be really scary. One last thing before we get to the conversation with Hattie. If you enjoy the show and you want to support us, uh, a really easy thing that you can do is go find us on Apple Podcasts and rate and review the show. If you do that, it helps other listeners find us. And uh, I cry whenever I get positive feedback from strangers. Uh, And it's nice to feel something in this long, dark numbness that is winter. Uh, sorry, that <laughs> that was a little darker than I meant it to be. But okay, so I promised some humor is coming up. I, I started my conversation with Hattie by asking why she decided to start the blog, which eventually inspired her book, The Anxious Girl's Guide to Dating. Dating has always been a huge struggle for me. I'd always had challenges with dating. And um, I kind of figured out a way to manage my anxiety in day-to-day life. But when it came to dating, for whatever reason, the minute I tried to talk to anybody I was interested in, my anxiety would just um, go into overdrive. You know, I was in my late 20s, and it was still incredibly painful, incredibly challenging. And it was also very isolating and very lonely. It's easy to look out in the world and see everybody else who seems to have it figured out. Mm-hmm. I was getting my master's degree in creative writing. And so the one thing I knew how to do was write. And so I figured I would start a blog that just kind of talked about my experiences with my generalized anxiety disorder and with trying to date. And I basically just wrote to myself. I wrote to a younger version of me and what I would have liked to know back in you know, my late teens or early 20s and 
also just trying to connect with anybody out there who um, also felt the pain of trying to date with anxiety. Because <laughs> um, I think it's a unique experience to try to merge those two things, living your daily life with anxiety and then trying to find an intimate connection with somebody else. So, uh, you know, you talk about how you're able to like sort of navigate different aspects of your life, you know, with your with your anxiety so that it wasn't like something that was totally paralyzing in everyday aspects of your life. What was it about dating that was particularly triggering for your anxiety? Yeah, honestly, I think it's because I really, really loved love. Like I wanted love and I loved love and I'd grown up loving movies that showed love and I read romance novels. And I think to me, just that idea of being able to connect with someone on that deeper, powerful level was so appealing and attractive and exciting. And, you know, I always had these really deep, intense crushes. Uh I mean, I never talked to them, so Uh they didn't know. And so I think it's that when you really want something, it's so scary to think that it might not work out. And it's so scary to think you'll go for something that you truly want and that you won't get it or that it will hurt you. And so it's much safer, obviously, to not pursue that not to seek it out and not to go after what you want and with dating there's so much uncertainty and I think that that all spirals very quickly because a lot of people with anxiety are highly sensitive and they don't want to hurt others Mm -hmm. because they know what it's like to be hurt and you don't want to be the person that hurts you don't want to be hurt yourself yeah so like I I did the online dating thing a couple times the first like year that I was doing the online dating thing, I, I felt like every time I went out with someone new, like it was very hard for me to tell if I actually liked them or disliked them because my concern the entire time was like, yeah, are yeah. they having a good time? Am I being funny? <laughs> Am I like everything that I uh, they imagined I would be? Am I presenting myself the way I presented myself on the pro on my profile? Like, you know, you were sort of talking about like people with anxiety are extra sensitive to other people's needs and which mm-hmm. could become like, mm-hmm. yeah, just like a total distraction <laughs> when you're trying to, you know, see if you actually are into the other person, if you're just concerned right, about their perception right. of you. You don't have time to even think if you like them because you're too concerned about this current yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You write about some suggestions for combating mm-hmm. first date anxiety, mm-hmm. which can be particularly strong. Um, so what what were some of your suggestions? You know, you were saying that you write, you were writing sort of to your past self. What were uh, your some of your suggestions for for young Hattie (laughs) yeah first dates I rarely even got to the first date there were a lot of false starts where I was trying to get to a first date and things just fell apart before we even got to that first date so I worked in college as a behavioral therapist I worked with children that had um, developmental and behavioral disabilities and so I learned a lot at that point I learned a lot about behavioral psychology and reinforcements and positive reinforcements, I was like, wow, this is really powerful when it comes to shaping habits and shaping behaviors. And I can definitely apply this to my own life when it comes to reinforcing my own behaviors, because I, I was great at avoiding situations that made me uncomfortable and that stirred up my fight or flight response. Mm -hmm. And so I started to really dangle things in front of me that I wanted, like, and it had to be something small, like, I really want to buy myself a bouquet of flowers tomorrow, but I have to text this guy in the morning and ask him if he wants to grab coffee. Otherwise, I don't get those flowers. And it's really small and it's kind of silly, but if you find those things that are um, appealing to you and they're going to make you feel good and make you feel happy, just use those to propel you to that next step. But whatever that scary step is, find something that can then keep your focus past that point because we get so stuck in that one point that we're trying to get to. And so if you can get yourself to think, okay, after that's over, I get to go 
you know, buy my favorite hamburger at my favorite restaurant, or I get to go on a walk at my favorite park. I get to call up my best friend and laugh about it. I mean, whatever that next thing is that's for you and it's only for you and it's going to make you feel a little bit lighter after that moment. That honestly was what helped me turn around because to reinforce that behavior, like, wow, good (laughs) job. Like, oh my God, you texted that guy back. I can't believe you did that. You get to take a nice hot bath and read a book for seven hours. Well, I would never take a seven hour bath. (laughs) That actually sounds amazing. Yeah, I know it does. For me, just having those little positive reinforcements that reminded me, like, you're amazing for having done that. I don't care if nobody else in this world would think it's a big deal. Like, I think it's a big deal, and I'm really proud of you. Yeah. I also love um, your advice for, like, first date activities. You mm, you suggested, yes. like, going on a walk for your, for your first mm-hmm. date, um, which I, I love because uh, I really would dread sitting across the table from someone and just, like, having, yes. you know, a drink and staring at their face for, for uh. like, two hours. <laughs> and then, like, the yeah, yeah. And then, like, every little weird, awkward pause, you know, you notice. And, like, I, you know, yeah. I, I just felt like I needed to keep talking and sort of, like, yeah, I was like, I have to, I have to entertain this person. Um, right. I have to be on, on, on. <laughs> But if you're going for a walk, it it removes like a lot of those Mm -hmm. elements that create anxiety. Yeah, yeah, that was always my go-to. I mean, I always because I for whatever reason our default is coffee, and I like I get it. You're it's simple and it's just a short time frame, I guess, but kind of awful for people with anxiety. Like there's all the eye contact issues. Sometimes you can't hear them. Like you don't want to stare too hard. You don't want to move your hand. There's so much involved. Like someone has to pay and there's all these things that can just stir up anxiety unnecessarily. So yeah, walks are amazing because then there's always something you can use to talk. Oh, look at that squirrel, you know, in the tree or there's always something you can point to and talk about um, if there's a lull and it's a lot more natural and organic. Uh Uh-huh. So as, you know, many of our listeners will know, anxiety often comes along with some digestive issues. Yeah, because yes. the brain and the stomach and the digestive tract <laughs> and everything is like also connected, unfortunately, <laughs> which can lead to some like embarrassing moments when you're first getting to know someone. Mm-hmm. You have written a lot about uh, like anxiety, diarrhea, and uh, which I absolutely <laughs> love. You actually have written about how like people find your work by like Googling what like nervous pooping or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Blind date diarrhea. Blind so date diarrhea. on my blog by Googling. <laughs> and you've also like written about some hilarious scenes that you've like experienced with your partner dealing with this, this kind of thing. So how do you first like broach the subject of I'm not feeling super great and this is maybe going to affect like, you know, if we're spending the day together or something like that? Like, how right. do you first talk about that? And then was that something that like you and your uh, now husband could immediately like laugh about or was it like awkward or weird at first? Uh, yeah. Like, how do you deal with it? Um, yeah. Yeah, so I, I mean, this is different for everybody. Everyone has different levels of comfort with these topics. But like my whole life, I've always been a believer in like, I'd rather be the one to share something embarrassing than have them discover it. Like I'd rather have that power of like a preemptive strike. Like I want to have control of that situation. So not everyone has that reaction. That's totally fair. But for me, like I'd rather announce like, hey, my stomach is being weird than sitting there and like praying to the activity of God's like, you know, I'd rather that I control that situation than worrying and having it make it worse. And that anxiety makes your stomach worse. And I think it's always better to get something out than to hold it in. So (laughs) Literally and figuratively. Yeah. (laughs) 
literally great word choice <laughs> it's embarrassing and it's uncomfortable and people might give me weird looks but i'd much rather be the, the person that gets to be able to say like hey things are being weird downstairs and i need to leave um yeah. than sitting there and being miserable and hoping that no one notices or i guess with my current partner i i'm very lucky where he he comes from a family uh a lot of his siblings have irritable bowel syndrome and so mm. he's kind of grown up hearing about it his father's in the medical profession so he's grown up hearing about the body and weird things that can happen and so I just lucked out with that one where to him it's just life I mean just the human body can be weird and mm. emotions can make things feel weird and so to him it's like well yeah like your stomach's gonna be weird sometimes like that's what happens oh that's great so I'm I mean, that's what he, he should be like that. I mean, that's like what all men should be like. But I, I feel like there's this idea that like, well, women don't poop or fart or do any, you know, like, yeah. So I, know. I don't understand that. I don't yeah. understand how that, yeah, like it's like that children's book, everybody poops. I mean, mm. so, I mean, I still wasn't right away announcing things because obviously, you know, I still wanted to put up this persona of being like Grace Kelly where yeah. everything's perfect all the time. We just started saying I love you, and so it's still scary, and I still don't know if I should be saying it, and I always second-guessing, like, maybe this isn't right. Uh, and we'd gone on a trip to the San Juan Islands, which is up here near Seattle, and uh, the island is uh, pretty remote, and it's really small, and we were driving around, and I could feel rumblings happening downstairs in the basement, and I was like, oh, man, we're in the middle of nowhere. Like, we're driving on this little island. We passed one restaurant that was closed. Uh, and things were just, like, quickly de-escalating. And I could tell, I mean, the, the minute you oh, start no. to spiral and your brain goes into it, your body is just like, well, it's happening. Like, you can't stop it now. There's no turning back. So I told him, like, listen, babe, I love you. I'm like, but I got to go to the bathroom immediately right now on the side of the road. And so he pulled over, no questions asked. And I started running towards this patch of forest <laughs> in the distance. And he leans out the window and he shouts, I love you. Aww. And as I was jogging, I'm like, this is really romantic. <laughs> I mean, it's terrible. I mean, this is awful. But it was one of the more romantic moments of my life because I was, it was so humiliating and, and embarrassing. But yeah. in that moment, he still shouted after me that he loved me, which is so sweet and so thoughtful. Yeah. I needed support in that moment. Yeah, that's absolutely, that's wonderful. Just rem I think just remember that, like when things are just awful and you feel physically terrible and just remember like, this is what it means to be human. This is what it means to be with somebody and support somebody. And, and if you're with someone who's making you feel worse because of that, I think that's a good moment to reevaluate how you feel around them and how you want to spend your days. And if you want to hide things and have to pretend that things aren't happening. And I think it's a good kind of a good barometer. I mean, okay, so with my uh with my current boyfriend, so I'm a messy person and he is not a messy person. <laughs> and I have like a lot of shame around my messiness and also like as an anxious person, like I like to control other people's perceptions of mm -hmm. me, right? Like yeah. I want to make sure oh, yeah. that my apartment is clean and organized before someone comes over, mm -hmm. but when you're in an intimate relationship with somebody, they like start to see the real you and um <laughs> So my boyfriend, while I was out running errands, like ended up cleaning my whole apartment for me and like saw the the dust, you know, underneath the, the couch that I hadn't like cleaned underneath on, in years. And like I was just I came back and was so 
scared because I was like, oh my God, I'm sure there were like weird toenail clippings and like giant balls of hair and all that stuff. And it it was just, I was expecting him to like turn around and be like, I cleaned your apartment and you're disgusting. But instead he like, he was just like, oh yeah, I just cleaned around for you. He was, he was like very sweet. I was sort of expecting if that were to happen or if he he were to see that side of me, he would just be repulsed by me. Well, this is it. Yeah. And now run yeah, yeah exactly it does not but uh it was just so reassuring in that moment to be like wait what you ex- you're okay with this yeah. part of who I am even though it's not perfect That's so wonderful yeah. Yeah. yeah even if someone doesn't have digestion issues like there's something like that where they're like embarrassed by it and they're like yeah. hoping that someone doesn't notice it and that you know if they do notice it they might leave or I don't know there's always mm. something there's always mm-hmm. something there uh, yeah, but it's incredibly. It feels really good when when the when the thing that you are most afraid of the the person like seeing <laughs> about you, they see it and they're like they still are you know into you. So connected yeah, to that yeah. sort of, I want to discuss this passage from from your book. Uh, you wrote, "Vulnerability can be the scariest thing of all. If information is power, then letting someone in on some of our most intimate pieces of information gives them a lot of power." It's like we're sliding a manila envelope containing all of our deepest secrets across the table. They now hold the envelope in their hands and we can only pray that they don't lose it. Mm-hmm. I love that passage and I can I can really like, seriously relate to it because even mm-hmm. with each new relationship, vulnerability seems to be become scarier and scarier because mm-hmm. you're like, oh, that mm-hmm. wasn't the person, you know, like, will this will this next yeah. person be the person? And like, what if I reveal certain aspects about myself and they react negatively? Mm-hmm. So how do you become close to someone or how have you worked on becoming close to someone when the idea of like just opening up to that person and sharing all of these p- parts of yourself just feels like mm-hmm. super, super scary? Yeah. Well, and I love, I love that you point out that vulnerability feels more challenging with each new relationship or each new scary thing, because I think that, you know, even in psychology, there's exposure therapy where it's supposed to get easier when you're exposed to something, you know, in small amounts. And as you go along, it becomes, you're more immune to it. Whereas vulnerability is the opposite. I mean, if you open up to somebody and you get hurt, that trains your brain to be, nope, I'm not going to open up. That that didn't work out. It hurts. I'm not going to do that again. And you keep guarding yourself more and more. And so it gets harder and harder to be vulnerable. If you've been hurt in the past, you basically want to turn into a roly poly. You want to curl up into yourself and you don't want to expose those meaty parts of your soul because they can get hurt by other people. So I think honestly, like you just have to accept the fact that there's risk involved when you open up to somebody and that's a fact. And so really the only thing you can do is start to reevaluate how you see vulnerability and accepting it as something that you're going to go through and that you will find strength in that experience. Instead of thinking, I'm afraid right now, think, wow, I'm really courageous for taking this risk. Um, I'm a total badass for taking this risk. I'm a courage queen for taking this risk. Yes. Just whatever you need to tell yourself when you're doing something, instead of being afraid of it, just reframing the way you're seeing it. Like there's strength in vulnerability versus embarrassment or shame. I mean, that's what Brene, Brene Brown has built her empire off of is vulnerability and being exposed and the power that comes from that. Yes. Love Brene Brown. So, and I think it's, it's exhausting to be vulnerable. It's exhausting to be emotionally um, yeah. open to somebody, but I think Maya Angelou, she was the one that said that nothing will work unless you do. Like you have to do work to make something else work. So when you're exhausted and when you're feeling drained to remember, it takes work to get something to happen. So, um, you're, you know, married now, you're a married woman, <laughs> someone who has 
generalized anxiety disorder and has experienced depression. What would you say mm-hmm. now, like looking at your relationship, is is the hardest thing about having those characteristics and being in a serious relationship? And what is the best thing? The most challenging and the best. Um, I live obviously with my husband and we've been together five years now. You know, we live in a one bedroom apartment, so there's not a lot of space for us physically either. You know, when I lived on my own and I was having periods of depression, I was able to have days where I just did nothing, where I was able to do what I needed to do. And um, I didn't have to have any energy expended on thinking of how does somebody see me right now? You know, if I wanted to spend a whole day in my pajamas and watch TV, I could do that. And I didn't have to use any brain energy thinking, how does this look to the outside world? Like, how is somebody seeing me right now? Um, And are they worried about me? And are they concerned? And should I try and change that behavior for that? And so in that sense, it's really difficult to have days where you need to just do nothing or take care of yourself or do those. I think there was a Sex and the City episode where they talk about secret single behavior, like the things you do when you're single that like no one really knows about that are kind of quirky, but you don't really even think about it until you're looking at it through the lens of somebody else. Uh Like, oh, that's kind of weird that I do that. Yeah. Um, Or super gross. Like, it's. Yeah, like, yeah. I feel like I've talked. I've talked about like my super secret single behavior is like I I pick at my nails, um, which is, oh yeah, yeah. But I can do that for like a long period of time and like sit and like watch TV and like do or yeah other like things that maybe like if somebody's looking in on if you know if you're living with somebody right. they're like ah oh, is that are you okay. <laughs> Totally. I could, I could spend like an hour and looking for gray hairs in the mirror and plucking yeah, them out. Like yeah. I just love to like scan my hair and yeah. look for those grays and pull them. Like that to me is, you know, a fun way to I spend know, an hour. I know, like a great evening. I, I don't totally want someone identify. to see me. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that's, that, that is challenging. That's very challenging to then kind of have to um, navigate those painful, darker moments when there's somebody that's very much in your space and they care about you and they want to make sure you're okay. And there's, I think it's okay to have days where you're not okay. And it's just very complicated, right? Like you want to, you, they want to take care of you and you're trying to take care of yourself. You also are worried about them, worrying about you. It's just, it gets a lot more messy. It's difficult to explain to someone who does not struggle with anxiety and depression. I mean, that's the conundrum for all of us is trying to put into words and help them understand what we're experiencing. Um, even the kindest, most loving, most compassionate people, if they haven't gone through it, it's just hard to know. And that's, that's totally valid and fair. I, you know, I don't fault anybody for not understanding, but it's just, it's very draining for people that are struggling with it to then continually try to explain how it feels, what we're going through, what we need, what we don't need. Sometimes you don't feel like explaining. Like, just, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know how to explain what I'm going or, through. Or yeah. Or if you're like in a it. state of, yeah, d- depression or something, it feels like it's way mm-hmm. too much energy to actually like mm-hmm. vocalize what's happening. But then I guess the best, so the best part of that, I guess, though, is that you have, um, hopefully, you know, if you found somebody that, that you, that you love and you trust and you love um, their relationship and it's healthy, like you have someone who still tells you that they love you, even when you're, even when you're in that place of darkness, even when you're lost. Uh, and so that to me is, that's incredible to have people like that in your life, whether it's, a partner or it's a friend or someone in your life that still, you know, will hold your hand and tell you that they love you, even if they don't totally understand the situation. It's, it's like you're lost, like you're lost in this dark, dark forest and they nest- they aren't walking with you in the forest, but they're usually standing outside, like holding a lantern up, like waiting for you to come back. And they're the ones that I are love that image. kind of standing there. Um, that's kind of how it feels. It feels like they're, they can't necessarily go in there with you, but they're going to wait and they're going to be there and they're going to hold up this lantern to wait for you to come back. Um, having that knowledge that you'll eventually reemerge from this is not necessarily happy, but it's similar to like, 
you know, in Harry Potter when Sirius Black is in Azkaban. And, yes. Like the only thought that gets him through is that he's innocent, which isn't happiness, which is why the Dementors can't take it. Mm-hmm. But it's that knowledge that I'm innocent or I'm safe or I'll get through this that gets you out of that darkness, which I think that's what I think J.K. Rowling said she wrote the Dementors to talk about depression or like as a symbolism of depression because she's gone through it. So, that's fascinating. Um, that I did sense. not know that. Yeah. I feel like I need to reread the yeah. whole Harry Potter series with that lens. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, the Dementors. That's like, true. They, they, like, they take all, all of, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah that so. other thought that like I can get through this isn't necessarily like a, mm-hmm. a thought of ha- like a happy thought, but it's like a, a right. strength sort of. Uh, like Carrie Fisher said that like sometimes you can only find heaven by slowly backing away from hell, and it's like sometimes you have to be in that terrible place so you know where to step back from and where to move away to try mm-hmm. to get close to that idea of heaven. For folks who have to hold that lantern sometimes, um, what what are what is your advice for them? Or generally, like what is um, what does your husband say is is something that like he holds on to, or you know, when he's thinking about being a good partner to somebody who has mm-hmm. experienced these things? Yeah, I think. <laughs> uh, I mean, I've asked him this, and I asked him this back when I was writing the, for the blog and was writing the book. He could say it more eloquently than me. Uh, but he, I, I mean, one of the first things was just having having a, a sense of humor, and that doesn't mean laughing at the situation, but just remembering like that the situation is. I mean, it is a funny situation to be with someone who goes through these kind of funnier moments that are weird. But then just complete patience. Like he is, he's the most patient person I've ever met. He's so good at just sitting through a situation and waiting like just and not dismissively but in a way that allowing things to happen he doesn't try to immediately fix it he's not someone that's immediately trying to give me tips on like well you should try this or you should do this or why don't you get up and take a shower which yeah. I, sometimes you need sometimes you need someone that's like hey girl go take a shower like you might need that um but no he's very uh, just kind of patiently um just sitting with it and allowing it to happen so i think just being there and just asking like is there anything i can do for you right now and if not, then just allowing someone to be be present in their experiences and, and validating them, right? Like not trying to diminish them, um, not trying to dismiss them. It's scary to see someone we love in pain. And so it's easy because of that fear and that scariness to feel like you want to um, make it smaller. Like, well, it's not that big of a deal. Like, look how small it is, mm-hmm. which actually invalidates somebody's experience. So um, just allowing them to have those feelings and to say, hey, like, this sucks and you're going through it and I see it and I'm here for you and we'll get through it. Um, Yeah. It does feel a lot less scary when your partner isn't terrified of it. Even if it's, if it does scare them. Yeah. It's if they're (laughs) able to sort of act as if like, okay, this isn't, um, this isn't like a a monster that's coming for, for us in our relationship. It's just like something that happens sometimes um, Mm -hmm. with my partner. Yeah. Um, That's very reassuring. Is there anything else that you feel like uh, you, you want to end on or is important to share? Honestly, I think it's just so important for people to show themselves the same amount of love and patience and grace that they show, you know, their best friends or someone that they truly love in their life. It's so easy to, um, to beat yourself up and to feel disappointed in yourself and to feel angry at yourself um, and to continually ask yourself, you know, like, why can't you find love or why, why are you so screwed up with this? And so I think it's so valuable to remember, like, you need to speak to yourself in your brain uh, the same way you yeah, would speak to that. someone you love. Just remind yourself, like, hey, like, I love you. We're going to get through this. Like, you're doing great. Um, try something new that's scary. And we're going to be proud of you, like, as a team. Like, this is, like, work with your anxiety to remember, like, 
your anxiety is teaching you that you're sensitive and that you're vulnerable and that you're, you know, attuned to things that other people might not be and your intuition is heightened. And that's all amazing. And that's going to make you a great partner. And trying to see your anxiety as something that gives you value versus something that you're trying to hide or squash, because that just makes it worse and makes it fester. That's going to be something that's going to help you love yourself more with your anxiety versus trying to cram it into a box and ignoring it. Um, I think that will help you just try new things and get to where you're hoping to get to go in life. Yeah. Yeah. That's my, um, uh, my favorite way to deal with, you know, I do, I've done cognitive behavioral therapy. I think you've, uh, you've done some CBT also, but like, uh, one of my favorite ways to deal with thought distortions is to do that. Like, what would you tell a friend who's in the same situation mm-hmm. and then right. try to try yeah. to give the same sort of like love and advice that you would give to a friend to try and like, think of, think of, be, be equally as kind mm-hmm. to yourself, which can be hard right. to do. If, right. Yeah. It's so hard. No, it's very hard. It's never ending. I mean, I still, I still do that with myself, even after all these years, even when I'm married, I still, I have to do that where it's work. I mean, it's work to try to help yourself, love yourself and, and think more kindly towards yourself and don't think you can do it for a week and you're like, it's great. And uh, for the rest of my life, I'm going to love everything. So you just have to, you know, revisit it and return back. So that wraps group for today. Visit grouppodcast.com for links to Hattie's blog and her book, The Anxious Girl's Guide to Dating. If you have a question or an idea for a future show, you can call the new group voicemail, 707-510-0270. You can also email me at rebecca at grouppodcast.com. Our March episode is all about text-based therapy and therapy apps. So um, that's apps like BetterHelp and Talkspace. So if you have any thoughts or personal experiences or stories about text-based therapy, shoot me an email or leave me a voicemail. You can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever you download your podcast to make sure that you have the next episode when it comes out. There's a link to subscribe on our website. And again, we'd really appreciate it if you left us a review. Group friendapist Catherine Drury wasn't with us today, but if you're interested in her work as a therapist, uh, she is the best. She's the best therapist slash friendapist. You can visit her website, katherinedrury.com, C-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E-D-R-U-R-Y.com. Music in this episode is by The Losers. I hope you all have a lovely Valentine's Day or Anna Howard Shaw Day if you celebrate, or just, you know, like a, a nice relaxing evening where you're kind to yourself. So take care and try to love yourself like you love the people who are closest to you and know that everything's okay. Lots of people have told me that I'm too negative, too dark, too sensitive, and I need to take a walk on the sunny side of the street. But if there's one thing I've learned after years of struggling with panic, anxiety, and ongoing depression is that there's plenty of us over here on the side of the street where it's consistently overcast.